Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to String of Turtles, the only podcast about Peperomia prostrata, a tiny succulent native plant that you can be growing yourself. And this podcast is entirely devoted to that plant. That is the podcast you're listening to. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and that's my intro. I really okay. liked it. It was yeah, so thanks. good. You've <laughs> crushed it. Why did, you, I, why, why did you lead with that, Magpie? <laughs> Well, I've been thinking about how I should just, this is how I'm going to start pitching podcasts, is just uh, introduce the podcast as if it's those podcasts. I mean, I mean, strong first pitch, as that is my favorite plant. (laughs) (laughs) Playing to my audience. I'll send you, I'll send you a picture of what that is, James, later. Yeah, please. I'm always excited to learn more about plants. Oh, well. Or... You're listening to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, yes. a twice-weekly podcast about all the greatest people in history, including String of Turtles. With me today, as my guest, is James, who is actually not the guest, but the host, the guest host. James Stout, everybody. Host, yeah. Guest. Yeah. I just went full late night on us. James Stout, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, I feel like I'm walking out. I'm going to sit on the sofa. Yeah. I mean, you should feel like you're comfortable and sitting on a sofa during this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I need to install like a podcasting sofa. um, But I have full support. And it would explain why you're wearing a three piece suit. I was (laughs) surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I was, yeah. I'm an American citizen now, so I don't have to. It's not like uh, like (laughs) a condition of retaining my passport. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just wearing it because it's how I feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. So, as we've implied, James is going to be telling me about stuff. And I, I actually don't know what we're going to be talking about for the full proper reverse experience. James? Yeah, good. I get to surprise you. Uh, people who have listened to the other things that we've done together will be both, both shocked and amazed to hear that the, this one is based in Spain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I do. So I'm going to keep doing it until someone stops me. 
<laughs> what I want to ask them, Margaret, is what do you think? What do you make of the Olympics? As a kid, I thought they were cool. And then once I started understanding politics, I learned that they are not cool because they're this massive gentrification force that um, destroys entire neighborhoods and or cities every couple of years. That's what I know about the Olympics. But I also am like, even as a like grouchy, I hang out with the girls in the corner of the gym class and get failing grades and paint my nails black. Um, instead of participating, even back in my most anti-sports, I still kind of thought it was cool when people like spin around six times in the air on ice skates and shit. Yeah, that is cool. The, the, the shit that people do is cool. Like you said, the structure that, that brings them there to do it is deeply uncool. Uh, and uh, I think, yeah, your arc is very much like mine, except that uh, my PhD was partially funded by the IOC. So it was a little more acrimonious, my uh, break up with the old Olympic Games. Is that the... International Olympic Committee? It, yes, it is the very same. Uh, based in a nice little town by Lake Geneva in Switzerland. Where all the good stuff happens. Yeah, where no bad stuff happens. And uh, famously, uh, th- that is because they entirely took the right side in the Second World War. And which uh, <laughs> is a little bit of what we're going to talk about today, right? So, um, this so today episode's... we're talking about the Olympics and why yeah. they're great. <laughs> yeah, and why they're magnificent and why there are no problems with them. Hell yeah. These are actually a different Olympics uh, from the Olympics you're probably thinking of. There are, people are probably familiar with different Olympics or have been different Olympics through time. Uh, so we're going to talk today. Uh, I think we, I want to start actually explaining a little bit about the modern Olympics or the IOC Olympics or the, the Olympics you probably saw when you were a kid on television. And those are, like, I think I want to defer to my friend David Goldblatt, who's written a really good book on the history of the Olympic Games. It's called The Games and people mm-hmm. should buy it. He calls them a gathering of the transnational bourgeoisie, which I think is pretty right on. They, <laughs> so the Olympics have this claim, right, that they're like handed down from a classical tradition. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that it comes directly from ancient Greece to, um, where, where are they doing it next? Paris or wherever. LA, hopefully not. So this is kind of baked into modern Olympic law, but it's not really true, right? Like a lot of the, the stuff they talk about in ancient Greece isn't really true. Uh, a lot of it actually draws from much more recent events, one of which is the Cotswold Olympics, which uh, takes place in a place where I grew up. Okay, what? No, I, I, I didn't even understand. Codswallow? <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> is this like a British... Yeah. Is this a sex thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the old, uh, the old Cotswold Olympic. No, uh, it, the Cotswolds is a place where I lived. Uh, ni- nice place, lots of sheep, lots of. Uh, is this like Cockfosters? <laughs> when I was it's on like the a- subway and in London, I had a hard time. Everyone knew I was the American because I would giggle every yeah. time. The nice British uh, lady, uh, the robot, would say, "Next stop is Cockfosters." <laughs> anyway. Yeah, this is like uh, Lord Hereford's knob, where about like twenty <laughs> percent, <laughs> a real place. That's a how real... you know who's the yeah. tourist. Yeah, they yeah, laugh. yeah, just like a well-worn path to take a picture with the sign, <laughs> Lord Hereford's <laughs> knob, and like two very tired people who just have to deal with that shit every time they get have to give their address to someone on the phone. The other thing I found out was my publisher tour T O R. I didn't know that that was a word oh, until what I mean? went. I went oh, to yeah, a like tour. Oh yeah, on Dartmoor. Yeah, yeah, on Dartmoor. Like you do the ten tours and you go on, go around them. Uh, uh, yeah, I went to one of them. I, I think Miss Avalon was maybe based on one. We were in, I don't know, Devon, England, somewhere. No, what's yeah. like the witchy town in West Center England? The witchy town in West Stratford. No, West Center England. 
It's like y'all Salem. Oh. Um, it's like where all I, the touristy witchy shit is. You know, all right, well, that's not I, what this yeah, is yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Inf- anyway, podcast. so there's Thanks words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. so, uh, yeah, Cotswold <laughs> yeah. Olympics, uh, which predate the modern Olympics, take place where I grew up. Um, people, if you've heard of them, you'll have heard of them because one of the events is shin kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah. is it what it is that means yeah. something completely no. different no no you put your hands on the other person's shoulders and kick the shit out of each other's shins until, until one someone of you gives f- up yeah yields or falls <gasps> over yeah that's the most classic drunk game in the world yeah much of english culture can be understood as like that's the most classic drunk game in the world uh... i don't know if people if you want to know exactly where i'm from uh, and, and how I used to speak before I went to university. If you watch that uh, that that documentary about cheese rolling on Netflix, are you familiar with cheese rolling? <laughs> no, the fact ah. that there's a documentary on Netflix about I cheese I'm rolling. familiar, James. So, so do they roll it, the cheese down a hill? Do they make the cheese yes. wheels by rolling yes. them? Yes. You, uh, then it's, you chase it's it. It's quite literally literal. <laughs> yeah, no, Cooper's Hill. You just it's. I mean, it's not fucking about. It's a proper hill, and well, you so, go to. Okay, but it should you're be a barrel lose, hill. You're going to lose your footing at some point, but the key is just to kind of let it roll and go kind of come down the hill just flailing and then aim for the cheese uh, when you get there. Fantastic. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people get very grievously injured. Like, people have life-altering injuries. All right. I've been listening to the Terry Pratchett books again, yeah. and I swear to God, all of the weird <laughs> fantasy made-up <laughs> shit is... Just England. I remember one time I interviewed Alan Moore about this thing and I was asking him how he felt about V for Vendetta and he was like, look, it's an American parable, the movie version. So they should have said it in America instead of setting it in England because you Americans think we probably still have giants or whatever here. And I couldn't (laughs) tell him he was wrong. And the fact that you have a cheese rolling hill in Coxwallow. (laughs) Coxwallow. Coxwold. Coxwold. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I, that's that's on me. That one's on me. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. I, I, this is a very twee version of Englishness. Like the Cotswolds are full of people who like have a shit ton of money and, and want to pretend that it's the 18th century. Okay. And and people who have lived there and and, and are in agriculture or whatever. But yeah, it, it presents a very twee version of Englishness, which it packages for foreigners. You know, like there are bus tours of Americans all the time coming through. Yeah. Villages near where I grew up, and it's not it's not all of what Englishness is. Anyway. The Olympics have always claimed that they unite the, the youth of the world, right? And promote peace through mutual understanding, acceptance of the rules, and fair play. But in reality, they really celebrate the shared interests of a global elite with enough time and money to travel around the world before commercial airliners existed. And then they take part in events like modern pentathlon, which, if you're not a fan of Margaret, includes fencing, horse riding, and shooting, in addition to running and swimming. See, that rules. I have no... I know those are all bougie things, but they also all rule, so... Yeah, yeah um... I uh, I did a trial for Olympic modern pentathlon when I was younger, and uh, it, it's fun. I, there's lots of things you can't do in fencing, which make it kind of cucked, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it was fun. Uh, not not for me, not the way I wanted to spend my life. But there was a while there where if you were good at exercising, they were just trying to find people <laughs> who could, who could like... Britain had this weird thing for a while where they targeted Olympic medals by just being like, hey, you're good at exercising. Uh, can you go on a horse? Right, fuck it. <laughs> like, this is your job now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all right. Thing. Yeah, why not? Okay. So by the... It's uh, no. shin kicking. You know, yeah. you're like, no. you're really good at shin kicking. You want to try shooting at <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. off a horse? Like, yeah, yeah. that sounds better. 
<laughs> I know if they bought the shin kicking back, I think I'd be more in favor of the IOC. Uh, just like recruit people who have abnormally bony shins who don't. Yeah. yeah. So by the early 1930s, Olympics had become an international institution. But they continue to enforce a rule about amateurism. Uh, so the amateurism rule holds that Olympians can't be professional athletes and they must not receive a financial reward for practicing their sport. So this rule has its, uh, has its roots really in the invention of sport. So like we were talking about cheese rolling, right? What, what sport does is it takes play and then it contains it, like, like both mm -hmm. physically and within a set of rules, right? Um, if people want to read about this, like the, kind of the classic text is Homo Ludens. In, this happens in 19th century England, right? And very quickly after sports like football and rugby, first football and rugby have to deviate from each other, right? They started the same sport. Okay. There's, a, there's like a myth about the guy who invented rugby. It's not true. Uh, it became possible for teams around the country to compete against each other. Uh, before this, like one town or school might have its own set of rules and they'd play against a town next door or something. You can see this in like um, folk football matches. Yeah. Where yeah, they, they're cool. Like, there's a football in between two towns, and they have to kick it into the other town, basically. And like, there are well, very basic rules. Go ahead. The sport that I play is called Bellagarth, mm -hmm. and in Bellagarth, you get foam swords, and you okay. hit each other with the swords, but not in the head. And okay. there's all kinds of really elaborate rules. And the 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 sport split, and I don't remember which direction it went. Someone's yeah. gonna be really upset about this. <laughs> Dagger here is a very similar sport. <laughs> Okay. Dagger here is where you get foam swords and then you hit each other with the swords, but not in the head. It's the same sport, but there's different rules. And it's called cross gaming when a dagger here field goes to a dagger to a Bellagarth field and vice versa. Okay. So I'm very familiar with the, the difficulties presented in learning, you know, exactly how wide the foam tip of the sword has to be. Um, <laughs> Whether or not there's resurrection spells, like I'm, <laughs> I, I feel the the rugby football problem that they're right. running into. Yeah, previous I, to that, I, like, I see, mm -hmm. like folk football had a very similar set of rules. Like there's there's one I forget where it is somewhere in the West Country where the, the only rule was that you weren't allowed to stab your opponent. <laughs> um, which again, like uh, a long and proud. Not tradition. a problem in dagger here, fellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think these people were dealing in foam daggers, so that was the. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, okay, yeah. okay. So, uh, but once the rules were agreed to, right? You can play anyone. You can play anyone from anywhere. Uh, so very quickly, this allows people of different classes to play each other, and so very quickly, mm -hmm. people who are in a you know upper class position start to fence off from playing sports against people who are not right. Uh, so this distinction emerges between what are called gentlemen and what are called players. Uh, and it's, okay. it's also gender policed for the most part, right? It's, it's men. The Olympics were for gentlemen and amateurs, people wealthy enough to take time off work for travel and training. Workers who couldn't afford the time and travel weren't welcome at the Olympics. Uh, and you can see these rules being used to police not just class, but also race. Mm -hmm. um, you're probably familiar with Jim Thorpe. That's uh, a name I've heard before, and yeah. I'll remember once you tell me. So he's an indigenous man, a role member of the Sac and Fox Nation, and he's probably the greatest athlete America has produced. Okay. So at his first, so he went to one of these residential schools, right? He went to the Carlisle Indian School. He was allegedly walking past where some kids were training high jump one day, uh, wanted to try it, and still in his school clothes, he beat all of them. <laughs> so it, 
1912, he dominated the pentathlon and decathlon at the Olympics. He, however, had his medal removed because he played semi-pro baseball in college. So okay. uh, he, he's doing, like, w- this is his 16th sport, right? Decathlon yeah. is 10, pentathlon is 5. But before that, he'd got some money for playing semi-pro baseball. So no one he, wanted to compete against this guy? No, he, this, this, he is like a, a giga chad, uh, to, yeah. to put it in modern parlance. Like he, he's, it's really sad, actually. Jim Thorpe like, wrote a book about the Olympics. This guy loved what the Olympics were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and like wanted this chance to like show himself to the world and prove him every bit they're equal and they're superior in you know, fifteen different sports, right? And and he did that, and then they were like, "Now nah, fuck you, dude! You can't you can't have your medal." Uh, so he went on to play pro baseball and then uh, also pro football because he hadn't played enough sports. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, there, there's there's not much. He was like uh, before Bo Jackson um, and and without a shoe contract, sadly, but. His medals were reinstated, like, not that long ago. Uh, The the IOC gave his family his medals back, but he died not having had his medals taken away, right? And and you can see this in other instances, with other, especially with indigenous athletes, actually. Them always falling foul of little uh, professionalism rules. Because it wasn't... There was one exception to the professionalism rule, and it was for fencing coaches. Fencing coaches could compete. Okay. Because it's a class thing, right? Like the yeah, fencing no, totally, coach yeah. Yeah. is, th- that's what it was about. It was about people they didn't want to play with and people who they wanted to play with. Yeah. And so Well, that sucks. Yeah, it was shit, actually, uh, which is why, as we're going to find out, there were some other Olympics which were considerably better. So okay. the, Olymp- the Olympics didn't want athletes like Jim Thorpe because it, it disproved a lot of what the Olympics were supposed to be about, which is kind of eugenic. Uh, but workers' sport did ath- welcome athletes from slums and sweatshops around the world. And routinely, they would run faster, jump higher, lift heavier than their bourgeois counterparts. Like everything else on the left, it broke up very quickly into multiple factions. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Wait, so, communi- so when, is, when and where is this? This is the, uh, the first couple of decades of the 20th century. Okay. So um, you'll see them mostly like, like post-Russian Revolution. Okay. And you have like a, you have a sports international, you have like... It's, Worker sport was huge. Like, it, it's hard for me to convey to people like how big this was. You'll get like so. For instance, um, if we look at the the Workers Olympics in 1931, you had a hundred thousand people competing and a quarter of a million watching. Jesus, like, these are vast events. Uh, at one of the Spartakiads, I think it was a Spartak. So you, you have the Workers Olympics with the socialists, the Spartakiads, a communist, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like Spartacus. Yeah. The Spartakiads, I think it was at the Spartakiad, they, uh, they had this, for the closing ceremony, they constructed a giant tower, like a, like a several stories high, like paper and cardboard tower, collapsed it because they'd written global finance capital on it. So the closing ceremony was them <laughs> collapsing it and setting it on fire. <laughs> that rules. Yeah, it, it was pretty cool stuff, actually. It's, it's sad that we don't have this anymore. And so one of the primary defenders of this amateurism, right, it's class policing Mm -hmm. of sport, is this dude called Avery Brundage. Avery Brundage uh, first headed up the United States Olympic Committee and then the International Olympic Committee. Okay. And it's around this particularly odious bureaucrat that I'm going to sort of start our story today. Um, Okay. Because you see, Margaret, in 1931, uh, the same year, a quarter of a million socialists in Germany watched that fake tower get pulled to the ground and burned. Uh, in the closing ceremony of the Workers' Olympics, the International 
Olympic Committee met in Barcelona to see who was going to hold the 1936 Olympic Games. Okay. Ten days before they met, Spain had declared a republic. When they decided to meet there, it was a monarchy. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So Spain's military regime had collapsed, the king Uh had stepped down, and a left liberal republic had been constituted. Crowds of working-class people had welcomed it in the streets, and Francesc Macià had taken the opportunity presented to declare Catalonia, the nation of which Barcelona is the capital, independent. In the weeks that followed, Catalonia hadn't quite left Spain, but gained significant autonomy. In its assembly, the Estat Catalá joined the Republican Party of Luis Companys and the L'Opinion Group to form a new party called the Republican Left of Catalonia. Uh, we'll use okay. Catalan initials, which are ERC. Um, it basically became a popular front, combining a really broad range of liberals and leftists. Within Catalonia. Within Catalonia, yeah. yeah. But the, pro- the popular front policy doesn't come about until a little later with the Comintern, but this mm. was, for the most part, most of the popular front. Um, so obviously the International Olympic Committee looks at this and it's a giant disaster for them, right? For the working people of Catalonia, it's a huge win, but... Uh, because they're like, yeah. no, but we want to like run around and ride horses with rich people, and these people want to run around and ride horses on rich people, and so it's like <laughs> they're not really. M- yeah, it's, it's like your your dagger here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's much like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a small uh-huh. difference. It's just one word. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, prepositions matter. Is that a preposition? <laughs> Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Don't start. Uh, so there, the, there were five counts to one marquee at this meeting, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A marquee, I, I don't quite know where they sit on the hierarchy, but it's a posh person. Uh, yeah. yeah, I uh, always forget. It's someone whose job is being born. Uh, like, yeah. like, like that's the most distinguishing element of their life. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Those people should have been making decisions for us. Anyway, they were supposed to vote on whether 1936 games would be held, right? Mm-hmm. And they probably did vote but the international olympic committee took the very strange step of deciding there wasn't a quorum which they hadn't done before even when there were fewer attendees okay this this specific ship like this vote is months of my life in an archive in in switzerland uh <laughs> which uh, you know whatever wait but but then who decides because the democracy failed and then one person was like no never mind there wasn't quorum like well, yeah. So, I, that's what I would love to tell you. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, what I have been looking for. Uh, so you have the chairs, and you have the various like International Olympic Committees reporting. Mm-hmm. So it, it's someone in the structure of the International Olympic Committee, right? Decides we need to vote by telegram instead. And I've looked at these telegrams <laughs> like extensively, and. I don't want to say it, it's. I can't prove mm-hmm. it's true, or they mm-hmm. would have written a book about it. But uh, I'm pretty sure they were like, "No, we can't have the Olympics here. <laughs> like, we, we need to like we need to do another vote because they've they've voted the wrong way this time." Yeah, because all these posh people didn't come. But they were like, "They were like, fuck no, we're not coming. Like, these people yeah. are like having a revolution. Like, I'm not going there." I mean, fair, it was a. It turned out to be a rough time to be 19. I mean. A nice time in some ways, but 1936 Spain, Catalonia, and Barcelona was like also a rough place, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it was a good place for sports. We're going to find out. Um, oh, okay. So whatever the process, they decided to pick a more stable democracy instead. Uh, and so they gave the 1936 Olympics to Weimar, Germany. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which uh-huh. actually... Maybe... Uh, Mar- do you know what, what won't collapse into a genocidal fascist regime? A uh. pile of turtles. That's right. Turtles all the way down. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Here's an advert for Turtles. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. We're back. I uh, hope you enjoyed those turtles. So in the years that followed 1931, uh, Margaret, some, some stuff happened mm-hmm. in Weimar Germany. Some things occurred. It stopped being Weimar Germany, I feel, I feel like. Yeah, that was the main... <laughs> that was the main thing that happened, was it stopped being Weimar Germany. It went from interesting and good and to interesting and bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's one of the more succinct summations of, of German history in the 1930s. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. That's all you need to know about it, everyone. Uh, we're done now. <laughs> okay. So uh, Catalonia actually remained pretty stable under the ERC. Relations in Madrid got much worse in 1933 when the mm-hmm. Theta, which is a Catholic uh, right-wing party, took power in Madrid and began to crack down on Catalan autonomy and social progress. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they were extremely progressive, right? We're going to talk about what they did with sports, but like they legalized abortion. Uh, you could divorce with no particular preconditions if you wanted to. Uh, they were massive on literacy and uh, we're going to see really big on eradicating tuberculosis as well. Okay. Um, is this the Spanish Republic or is this uh, Catalonia in specific? This is, this is Catalonia specifically. Okay. So like, Throughout the Spanish Republic, Catalonia has this left-wing, liberal-left, progressive party. Mm-hmm. And 
in Madrid, they have liberal left progressive super chuds for two years and mm-hmm. then liberal left progressive. And then when the liberal left progressive party get elected the second time or parties as a popular front get elected the second time, the civil war begins because uh, yeah. the army ain't having that shit. Which if you want to hear more about, we did a whole episode on that. Uh, we did, yeah. Jamie Loftus last year, which I read James's work to do a good chunk of. Thank you for being one of the least dozen people who's read my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some of them are not related to me. Um, I say that because I've given it to my family, but I'm pretty sure they haven't cracked it. Cause it's yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but they own it. So, you know. Yeah, same thing. Counts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, relations between the anarchists and the ERC were not super great at this time. The ERC. Mm-hmm. The anarchists didn't like the government. Yeah, it was it was strange stuff. Well, huh. <laughs> this definitely ends with the anarchists being pally with the government for a bit. It's um, true. Yeah. I, I and I know that the then, go ahead. Yeah. Then it ends with them all getting machine gunned. Uh, which yeah, that'll happen. Uh, so it wasn't a cool, uncommon for anarchist cops and high guns acting on part of employers to get into shootouts in the Raval, a uh, working class neighborhood. They called the Bari Chinese, um, which means Chinatown, not because there was any particular concentration of Asian or Chinese people there, uh, but because they'd seen gangster films about Chicago's Chinatown and figured that it had kind of the same vibe, uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, which I kind of love for them. So one way the Catalan government did try and reach out to the anarchist working class was through sport. Okay. Both anarchists and liberals, as well as the smaller socialist and communist factions, had a history of organized sport. In Barcelona, the Catalan Olympic Committee predated the Spanish one, and Catalan teams had helped to advance the cause of Catalan nationalism all around Europe. But the ERC used sport kind of differently. It wasn't about like elite sport. It wasn't about like sending your national team of like sporting freaks somewhere else. It was using sport to bring working people into its its Catalan project, right? Okay. Anarchist sport was slightly different. Anarchist sport had always phrased itself more in terms of public health. Uh, they were big into teaching kids to swim so they wouldn't drown. And they were really big into the eradication of tuberculosis, actually, the anarchists. Yeah. So, yeah, fuck tuberculosis. Yeah. It's the official stance of this podcast. That's and right. all of cool, cool, cool Zone Media were an anti-tuberculosis <laughs> group. Yeah. Which still kills a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. I had no um, idea. It kills so many people just because of different levels of access to care found yeah. not in certain parts of the world. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, it's nice and bastard. Uh, and it's why I have to get a chest x-ray every time I want to teach at a new university. Okay. Because you have to pass a tuberculosis test to teach in California. <laughs> I mean, um, I guess that's fair. <laughs> yeah, but I've been vaccinated, so I don't pass the test. Uh, so... <laughs> Instead, they're just like, yeah, take some of these rays and, uh, you know, you're, not, you're looking good. Like, so, uh, if I get cancer, please sue them. Okay. So, um, anarchist sport is also about this idea of the three eights, right? Which I'm sure you've talked about before. I can't remember. The three eights? Like, I don't think so. Okay, los tres ochos, the three eights is like um, three hours for work. Uh, three hours for work. Eight hours for work. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, eight hours for, for like uh, sleeping and then eight hours for playing self-improvement, self-education. Yeah. And these guys are fiercely educated. Uh, like the Catalan anarchists are amazing, like autodidacts, they're reading, like all the, the their theory comes from working people educating themselves and each other, right? Yeah. Um, they're super big on speaking Esperanto. Yeah. Which, 
yeah, I don't think we've spoken about this before, but it's so cool. They're like, well, the thing that's holding back the global working class is we can't all talk to each other. So we got to learn Esperanto. Um, and so they would teach themselves Esperanto. Uh, the only person and- I've met who told me that he spoke Esperanto was this um, Dutch squatter lawyer who wore a like huge fur coat and was super gay at like every squat action. He ruled. He was always like the police liaison and he would just like go up and talk to the cops. Probably not in Esperanto because it's a working class language. Yeah, he should have done. He could have just tried it out. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so... Uh, the two ERC and anarchist concepts of sport met in this thing called popular sport, which is kind of like the popular front, right? Okay. It's not the socialist and workers. Socialist workers sport was pretty much limited to socialists. Mm-hmm. Communist Spartaki ads are for communists, right? Uh, popular sport. The idea was for everyone, uh, and the idea was for people just to get healthy, have fun. And like this is a time in the 1930s where people going like are dying very quickly because of the jobs they are doing, right? Yeah. Like. It's uh, Barcelona is a very industrial town. Catalonia is more industrial than the rest of Spain, and their jobs are killing them. Okay, were they shin kicking? Yeah, that was it. The shin kicking factory. <laughs> really, yeah. like, it's, a, it's a short career arc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not as short as you are once your shins get kicked off. I guess. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'll bang my gong. Things weren't really going so well in Berlin. So, real history buffs uh, may be aware that the Weimar Republic did not, in fact, make it to 1936. Instead, uh, the country was under the increasingly ironclad fist of Madison Cawthorn's favorite author, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> he, he used to be my fucking politician where I used to live. Oh, God! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad he's not anymore. Yeah. Sorry, despite this dramatic pivot for Germany, the IOC saw no reason to take the games away. Okay, which is like such an interesting inversion, right? Because they show up at a monarchy and they're like whoa 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 i don't know about this democracy shit that's a little messy let's go to that democracy and then that democracy becomes an autocracy and they're like that's that's chill that's fine yeah like it's cool the trains run on time famously Uh, yeah so it's fine yeah which they didn't but no no uh (laughs) yeah but it's it's more about what we tell ourselves isn't it yeah across the world people decided that taking an international event which claimed to be about fraternity and fair play to a regime that was explicitly about anti-Semitism and fascism wasn't a good idea, actually. Mm-hmm. And so this boycott movement begins to coalesce. In the United States, it's really cool, actually. It brings together like liberal Catholics, Jewish groups, communists, and it, most, if not all, of the black press and black political organizations. Okay. So it really coalesces these, these groups in, in a way that hadn't, they hadn't done before. And... In the U.S., they very, very nearly succeeded in achieving a boycott. Actually, the U.S. very nearly boycotted the 1936 Olympics. And if the U.S. had, like, I've looked at British cabinet papers about mm-hmm. this. Britain was like, the, by 1936, the Olympics were an American thing. In 1932, L.A. had hosted the Olympics, and like, it was amazing. It was very L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Olympic Village was patrolled by cowboys and funded by real estate speculators, <laughs> which is the most L.A. thing, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, the pentathlon so, is now no more swords. You just have to shoot the guns while on the horses. <laughs> you know, uh, General MacArthur uh, competed in the uh, modern pentathlon earlier Olympics, but was disqualified because he was using a handgun so large that they couldn't tell if he'd shot a good grouping or just destroyed the target. <laughs> that rules. Uh, which, again, yeah, it was kind of a Chad move. Just a shotgun. Fuck you. Yeah, 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 just turning up with a hand cannon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, taking the whole target 10 feet backwards every time. So 
this is where our boy Avery Brundage comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Avery Brundage leads the don't boycott movement, I guess. Uh, okay. It's. I don't think he went into the let's go to the Olympics in 1936 Nazi Germany thing as an anti-Semite, but he sure as fuck came out as one. Okay. He becomes convinced that he's being taken down by a Jewish communist plot. That, that's a quote from him. <laughs> Here, which is a thing you used to be able to say in an interview to the newspapers and just still become chair of the International Olympic Committee later. I'm I'm just laughing as the, the thing that is always uh, funny is not the right word, but I'm going to use it. Funny about anti-Semitism yeah. is that it's, it's Schrodinger's capitalist, you know, yeah, like yeah. The, yeah. the Jewish person's either a capitalist or a communist, whichever one you hate. That's what they are. Yeah, yeah. Schrodinger's a bad guy. Yeah. So uh, to to find out what was going on in Germany, Avery Brundage, a dude who didn't speak German, decided to take a fact-finding tour around Nazi Germany accompanied by Nazi Germans. <laughs> uh, it's shocking. Got a pure, unfiltered truth. Uh, yeah, he just went in there like, uh, like uh, God, so there's so many cringy journalists who try and do that, I can't. <laughs> so through his translated discussions, uh, translated by his Nazi minder, he didn't see any red flags, shockingly. And he became a strong supporter of keeping politics out of sport, which is always a way of deciding promoting the status quo, right? It's always bullshit. In Europe, the Olympic movement didn't really bother with reaching out to like national Olympic committees that were all run by counts and and marquees and things, but they just got on with taking their alternative, setting up an alternative. So I realize that we are like 2,000 words in now, but this is where we get You're about to, to talk thing, about the thing that we're talking about today. The thing that we're talking about, yeah. It's called the Popular Olympics. Yeah. Uh, we, we touched on it in the, the Spanish Civil War episode, so I'm really excited to, yeah, to learn more it about is, it. Chess and shin Antifa. kicking. Yep, there was no shin kicking. Uh, there was human, human tower building. I love that we're like 30 minutes in. Here's yeah, what we're yeah. talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This is, this is my like perpetual lot as a... A recovering academic. <laughs> That's where you're like, I'm reading all about these autodidacts. They're so cool. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know, I, I know if I know one thing, I know that James is not about to compliment academia. I know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it can fuck off. Uh, but uh, as I did from it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know what you shouldn't uh, abandon and walk away from after, after 10 years of wasting your life, Margaret? Turtles? Yeah, don't fucking abandon a turtle. Because I've been thinking about this, and I've been thinking about how it, it really is a new year, and it's time for a new sponsor here at Cool People mm-hmm. Did Cool Stuff. And yep. I'm not going to stop loving potatoes. I'm not going to stop growing potatoes badly. But turtles, <laughs> what, if my, yep. what if my Instagram direct message inbox was full of memes about turtles instead <laughs> of memes about potatoes? Yeah. I'm tired of the potato memes. I I'm sorry, everyone. I love watching turtle videos. Watching turtles eat food is one of the most beautiful things on this planet. I know. They also do eat potatoes. I, I, they as do? soon as I, I told someone I was going to do yeah, this, yeah, yeah. and they were like, and they immediately sent me a meme of it. Eating potato. eating potato, and I'm like, that's that counts. This does warm my heart. I stopped in a bike race once to rescue a turtle. It, it had, <gasps> a hero. It was, up, it was upside down. You won Aww. the real. They, at the end, they gave yeah. you an award. No, yeah, I don't think you've met bike people, Margaret. Hit <laughs> 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 you with their shins. Yeah, yeah, and they gave the- themselves a pat on the back. <laughs> 
no, no, they uh, that organization has not given me any awards. It turned out their name was extremely uh, racist, uh, and that was a problem. Well, let's 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 hear from the turtles. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. We're back, and uh, yeah, turtle wax made from turtles. Bye. <laughs> so, in Europe, as I said, right, they uh, they had a little conference actually in Paris of, in April of 1936, mm-hmm. and this conference welcomed people from the workers' sport movement who obviously weren't going to Germany because Germany was in the process of violently Not suppressing any workers' movements. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jewish groups who weren't going to Germany. I don't think we have to explain that one. No. Anti-fascists, similarly. Uh, and, and some genuinely concerned liberals. Like There were a few liberals who were like, yeah, it doesn't seem right. Uh, there's something up with those Germans, uh, specifically those Nazi Germans. Yeah. So they all meet in Paris at this conference, international conference for the respect of the Olympic ideal, which it's very clear that <laughs> they know that the Olympic ideal is bullshit because they write about it being bullshit before and after but they, they're quite smart in being like, hey, you're not doing the thing you said you would do. Like, uh, we're going to call you out on that shit. Activists never and, change. No. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I think, quite smart. I think it probably Yeah, no, bring, yeah. Yeah, it brings in some liberals who, who may have not, you know, wanted to, to play with the anarchists otherwise. Uh, so 
In April, they come to the unanimous decision that instead the Catalans, the people who wanted to host the games anyway, mm-hmm. had all the stadia to do it, they should host the games. That tracks. Uh, yeah, it does. The problem is it's April and uh, it's not possible to do anything in Spain in, in August uh, because it, it's not a month that people work and that is a good thing. Wow. But they, uh, yeah, you take August <laughs> off. It's, not working is good. Uh, yeah. Not being productive to capitalism is, is a way to spend your time that is laudable. And so they have to do it in the summer. So they're going to do it in July, right? They want to get there ahead of the... Uh, the Berlin Games. So that gives them three months to organize an Olympiad, which uh, sports fans will know is not very long. So by this time, the popular front policy of the Soviet Union and the Comintern had resulted in an alliance of leftists and bourgeois liberals against fascism. By May, a popular front coalition of leftists and anti-fascist parties held power in France, Spain, and Catalonia. So they all came together to support the Games. Okay. Uh, so normally at the Olympics, nations compete for prowess, right? Uh, at this Olympics, they cooperated. So Spain and France paid 300,000 pesetas, Catalonia 100,000, uh, and the facilities were already there. They'd been used for the World's Fair, which is another gathering of the transnational bourgeoisie. Yeah. Yeah, and, and some really, really weird racist stuff happened at those, which we'll talk about another time. So they had the facilities already. Uh, they had a hotel, uh, which they renamed the Hotel Olympic, and they started refitting it to house as many people as possible. They, um, I want to read a little bit from one of the letters they sent out trying to recruit people, right? Okay. Um, so they Very quickly, they were like, uh, this, if this is big, then we have to have some people who can actually compete. So it is necessary to give a practical demonstration of the international anti-fascist sport, and it is just this that the People's Olympiad is going to do. Um, popular or people's... Like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer popular actually. Wrote the organizing committee in one of their letters. Um, so, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to show the ability of the popular front to organize and the strength of the popular front, right? Like, uh, we're not just a few like old socialist men like smoking pipes in rooms talking about a popular front. Like, we are thousands of young people who will kick your ass when we, uh, when we do a war. Yeah. Oh, I. I never even thought about that, how it's like a flexing. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a big war coming between fascism and anti-fascism. And we're, we're going to win. Yes, we will kick, like, I mean, if you look at many of the modern Olympic traditions, right? Uh, the opening ceremony with the flags, mm-hmm. uh, the, the national anthems that are done when a medal is awarded. Uh, these are creations of Karl Diem, a Nazi German. Like and it, huh. it's very specifically to be like we we are the alphas here. Like yeah. we, we we will kill you. Uh, <laughs> they lost. Yeah, yeah, they didn't win. <laughs> they did not win. Uh, famously, like zero for two in World Wars. <laughs> so the <laughs> poor stats. The uh, the infrastructure of the games communicates a message, right? You got Beijing had a bird's nest. Berlin had a bell tower with this bell that summoned the youth of the world on it. Okay. engraved in it. I told you, LA had the Olympic Village controlled by cowboys and sold off by real estate developers. Uh, but Berlin's Olympic Village is kind of interesting. Uh, it hosted the volunteer pilots of the Condor Legion. Uh, do you know who the Condor Legion are, Margaret? I, are they the ones who ended up bombing northern Spain during the Civil War? They are, yeah. They're the first... That's not true to say. They're the, they're the first people to carpet bomb cities in Europe. Oh. Uh, so, nice people. Uh, they they were living at the Olympic Village in Berlin. Meanwhile, Barcelona didn't have Olympic Village. They used the stadium they already had. 
and they billeted athletes wherever they could. You can see one of the things I found in the archive, which is kind of cool, is this little questionnaire that mm-hmm. they'd put through people's doors and be like, we are having a Antifa Olympics. Would you like to host someone? How many beds do you have? Do you have Aww. a sofa? It's really sweet. <laughs> that and you is can so tick, sweet. Like, I'll give them breakfast. And like they, they would be compensated accordingly, right? And uh, this is okay. I really like because it's like you can actually organize things in a decentralized way. It's still an organizational system. Like people will be like, the only way to organize is you set up a village and you like, otherwise it's just pure chaos. And instead you have these organizational systems that harness chaos. You just are like, okay, well, yeah, we'll go around and ask everyone. That rules. Instead of like, I don't know. And that's a weird yeah. minor point, but that that seems like an important way of doing it. Yeah, everything they did was like this. Everything they did was communal and sort of like ground up organized. It was organized by the an organizing committee that comprised some government officials, a lot of union officials, mm-hmm. and then people from these various sports organizations. So they did it like you would do your, your union stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, the French rail unions, for instance, also clubbed together and, and they weren't going to charge anyone coming through France on the trains, right? Like, yeah, come fuck for yeah. free. Fuck yeah. And then... Yeah, it was amazing. Everyone who they could travel on the trams for yeah. free in Barcelona because the transport union were down with the, with the Olympics. Like, yeah, uh, they, they could eat for free in various places. Um, so, what if we had a whole society built on this idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we tried, didn't we? we really, <laughs> yeah, we really tried, really tried. So they could take free buses around town. The stadium held seventy two thousand people. The botanical garden for another venue, and. They had a network of Esperantist translators, right, to bridge the language gaps between participants. Wow. So that, yeah, it's very cool. Um, the last living participant in the Popular Olympics was a guy called Eduardo Vivancos. He was an Esperantist. Uh, and he died last year in Canada before I was able to go meet him uh, because of the pandemic. He was living in an old folks' home. Yeah. Yeah, but this deeply cool guy who's like, he was, he was 16 when the uh, Popular Olympics happened, right? He was, he'd already taught himself Esperanto. He was out there trying to translate so that, you know, working people of the world could, could meet each other. And then obviously gets swept up in the Spanish civil war and ends up living in Canada. And like to his dying day remained dedicated to this idea that if we could all speak one language and the working people of the world would stick up for one another. And yeah, it's, it's, it's sad that we've kind of lost that a little bit along the way. Yeah, and, and and from a bottom-up point of view, right, instead of like a top-down organization being like, you now, everyone, because yes. like we have this like, English is becoming the, ironically, lingua franca, <laughs> but like, that's this like top-down imperial imposition versus this idea of like, this thing that can connect us, even if it's like, I don't know how the Esperantists saw it, but in my mind, it would be like, beautiful if it was instead of being like, this is everyone's first language, it's like, this is everyone's second language. Yeah. This is so everyone can cross-reference and connect without abandoning your culture and identity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Esperanto is definitely like, it's not supposed to be like a la- your primary language. It's very simple. It's very easy to speak. And, and it, yeah, it's designed to, to facilitate that communication without taking the place of another language. It, it's really cool. Yeah. The 1936 Olympics were very much another place where gender equality was celebrated, at least not in Berlin, right? After watching women's world record broken on the track in 1928, one reporter for the Pittsburgh Press wrote, It was not a very edifying spectacle to see a group of fine girls running themselves into a state of exhaustion. Um, <laughs> and, and, and promptly thereafter, they, they stopped women from running more than 200 meters. Uh, le- lest they, uh, I, I don't know, lose their 
feminine charms. Uh-huh. <laughs> so his face looks deeply sad. <laughs> so the Popular Olympics took a slightly different approach, right? Uh, in one of their letters, they wrote, the picture of the People's Olympiad would not be complete if women did not have her due place in it. Particularly in Spain, it's women far from being free. That sport, and above all, sport of a popular character, is one of the best and most important means of achieving women's liberation, cannot be open to doubt. The participation of many women in, in the popular Olympiad is therefore one of the most important objects which this great institution has to fulfill. And so they were, they were pretty, pretty based in that regard. One of the groups that, that helped organize it was called the Catalan Feminists and Sports Club. Okay. So, look, I think we, we spoke a little bit about before how they had overlap with Mujeres Libres, who are like the, the free women. Yeah. It's uh, one of these, like one of the women who was part of this was uh, a Marina Ginesta, who's the woman everybody's seen, like standing on top of the building with the Mauser. Like if you've seen one picture of oh, the woman in Spanish Civil War. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she was a war correspondent. Um, she wasn't, wasn't a fighter. Um, there's actually a really good photo of her with Deruti, and she's translating for Deruti into French so he can speak to someone else. Oh, I've heard such a different... Uh, that makes me very happy because I've, I've always heard that that picture is someone who was like in the street fighting against the anarchists like during the when the communists and the anarchists were fighting no she um no she she was a war correspondent great uh, th- we are that makes me way happier the person you are thinking of is someone else oh am i thinking about a different photo no you're not you're thinking of the same photo and i think it's not an uncommon thing to hear okay uh, but they're distinct individuals okay great so the Barcelona Games had longer races for women, basketball and tennis events. Uh, they also had events that were considered unladylike, like shot put and javelin. Uh, and-, <laughs> and shin kicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, that was just for fun. Everyone wins at a shin kicking. You can't have medals for it. <laughs> so another unique event they had was the mass relay race, which is really cool. The mass relay race pits the entire team of a nation against another nation. So like, there's a 20 by 50 meter running race. And like no one had twenty running athletes, right? So you've got like boxers and weightlifters. Oh shit! Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, uh, it's got like a a real <laughs> sp- school sports day vibe. Yeah. Uh, they also had a ten by hundred meter. Everyone would be track. so sad because wasn't chess one of the games? They'd be so sad. Yes. That, like, yeah. yeah. I'd be there <laughs> for chess. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. Now the relay, and I'd be like, oh, I'm yeah. sick. Oh, I can't come in today. <laughs> oh, oh. Gotta go paint my nails in the corner. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, the mathletes really let the team down uh, in, in the math running relay. But there's a reason for this, right? They had a 10 by 50 meter swimming event as well. Okay. And the reason for this is because they didn't want to reward like one or two exceptional athletes, like genetic freaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they wanted to reward the nation which has elevated the well-being of its working class the highest, right? So if if your runners can also swim, that's because working class people can swim where you're from. Yeah. And that means that working class kids won't drown. Yeah. And so you you get to win, right? Like the goal is to emphasize the popular calendar of the games. Um, there were yeah, there were other weird events. I mean, there was a week long chess tournament. Uh, there were folklore exhibitions. Uh, the building of Catalan human towers, <laughs> which is a great Catalan tradition, and Scottish country dancing would accompany the games. Um, they uh, there were also like Wait, three okay. tiers. Why, yeah. why Scottish country dancing? Because I'm like, I've run across that like like the. The Russian nihilists, like sixty years earlier, had been really obsessed with like Scottish fashion. Was there like some weird Scottish working class thing going on that everyone was into? Or 
That, I mean, there were, you'll see these working class Scots pop back up in like the international brigades and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a celebration of the diversity of the popular front. So okay. um, they, they also bought a bunch of bagpipers with them. Uh, and they had all these folklore exhibitions. Is this a way to be like, we're European, and, but we, we're like ethnically inclusive. So here's the Scots. They, they, wear, <laughs> they wear kilts and play bagpipes. They're really weird. We like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah they belong with us. I mean, that rules, trying... if so, I'm just curious. Yeah, it, so they had every... So like you had Algerians taking part, mm-hmm. right? You have people from uh, China. Like mm-hmm. all these people, they're, they're trying to celebrate the different cultures okay. that form a popular front rather than... Um, another thing they were very, very keen on uh, was having black people from the United States uh, mm-hmm. because they felt that like the anti-fascist struggle was very much inclusive of the struggle of people living under segregation in the United States. Yeah. Um, so they actually paid their way. They didn't pay most people's way, but they, they paid for people to come on boats from the United States. That rules. There was no saluting of flags. Uh, instead, um, Pau Casals, who I think people might not be familiar with, he's like the modern, he's the founder of the modern way that people play cellos. Okay. Yeah, he flips it on the side and plays it like a bass guitar. He doesn't do that. I, I was like, what? I've never seen anyone play cello that way. Oh, God. <laughs> I can do that. As a freakishly tall man, I can play a cello like a bass. And uh, it doesn't go down well with cellos if you pick one up and start doing like deep purple or something. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'd encourage everyone to try if there's a cellist or a cello in their home. So, sorry. It's a house not Alcazar. a home without a cello. Yeah, yeah. What is it without a cello? It's also a great home defense weapon. If I can cello someone in the face, no, you just start. You threaten to play cello, and everyone's like, "That's (laughs) why I carry the accordion. No No one will mess with me." They're like, "Oh god, I got my little bagpipe chanter right here. Like that, that will fucking clear a room." Wait, I have a bagpipe chamber within arm's reach. Also, (laughs) really? Yeah. No way. (laughs) Oh yeah, outstanding stuff, Sophie. Right, let's just divert this quickly. I don't, yeah. I do not, and yeah. you both yeah. are fucking nerds, and I love it. <laughs> don't ever change. <laughs> no, the only, ins- I can't keep the, the any drums or anything in the space that I record, yeah. but other instruments are yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah the cool zone media pipes and drums are now, uh, you, you, everyone here was present for the founding of that. Yeah. All right, so... And, so yeah, they had this this song called The Hymn to the Popular Olympics. Pau Casals was going to uh, conduct it. Uh, the words were written by Josep Maria de Sagara, uh, who was a Catalan poet. And then the music was written by Hans Eisler. He was a German-Jewish composer mm-hmm. uh, who had obviously been uh, forced out of Germany, right? Um, so you're probably wondering, if you're listening, why you haven't heard of these games before. They seem like they're pretty cool, and perhaps something you might have read about. Well... The reason you haven't heard of them was because they were supposed to begin on the 19th of July, 1936. And uh, something else began on the 19th of July, 36. And that thing is the Spanish Civil War. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little bit sad. Um, so I think that's maybe where I want to end this episode mm-hmm. with the, the beginning of the end. Uh, what we want to talk about next time is that what did these 20,000 athletes do when the... Spanish Civil War started. Like the spoiler alert didn't go home, and they didn't do sports either. Sport, it's, you get to shoot guns. That's one fifth of the. No, that's a sport. They probably yeah, did some the running. <laughs> yeah, they probably did some running. Uh, yeah, and then you could really, if you could have employed a shot putter, like tactically, <laughs> that would have been quite quite destructive. Just you big know? circle bombs, just. 
<laughs> you have to start yeeting uh, like giant stones. Uh, they yeah. used to say that in Barcelona, the the pavement was never like because it's cobbled, right? Yeah. But they they'd be like, oh, they, they never bother fixing it down because they're always fucking building barricades around here. Yeah. So like, like people would just people would crowbar up the stones and throw them at cops when they were uh, on strike. Which I'm sure they still do this, and that makes me happy. Yeah, I haven't seen. I think they. Uh, I haven't seen a. I've seen barricades. I'm trying to think if I've seen a stone barricade. Uh, uh, no, I, I went to Barcelona with a friend a while ago now, and uh, we we've been there for about 24 hours. The first time we got tear gassed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I missed this so much. <laughs> well, do you have anything you'd like to plug, James and or Margaret? James, you go first. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's a podcast that uh, I do. Uh, it's called It Could Happen Here, and, and you can listen to that also on, on your telephone or other hearing device. Um, yeah, I think that's all really... I, oh, I'm unbanned from Twitter again, so you can find me there. Oh, uh, congratulations. What did you get now? banned for? Yeah, yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, I enjoy posting pictures of Mussolini hanging out with his friends, and sometimes I get banned for those. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's enough. at James Stout. Yeah, what are you going to do? Can't change. Well, how about you, Margaret? Margaret has a book that's out. I know. Oh, it, you well, can order. What's funny is it's supposed to be out of pre-order as of uh, a week ago when you're listening to this, but it might still be in pre-order. You might have a last chance <laughs> to get a free poster with Ooh. it because the publisher may or may not have um, not... Uh, the the printer of the posters is is taking some time. It's called Escape from Insel Island, it's about people who want to no longer be on Insel Island. If you want to hear James play a game based on Escape from Insel Island, you should check out the podcast Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness that ran a live mm-hmm. play of the gang from It Could Happen Here playing Escape from Insel Island. And Ooh. it's mm-hmm. more fun than it sounds. Actually, I think that sounds fun. I'm just not saying it very enthusiastically. It does it was sound fun. fun. I know. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sad Sophie wasn't playing. Yeah. We all are. Sophie hates, I was working. hates mm-hmm. role-playing games. No, um, I was yeah. working. And the people who play them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has to work around here, Margaret. Yeah. It sure as fuck can't be oh, us. No, it oh. certainly can't. And you can follow me on Twitter where I somehow have not banned. I feel like I'm not trying hard enough. At Magpie Killjoy or Instagram at Margaret Killjoy, and you can learn about turtles by observing them. You can from a distance. Don't fuck with them. Yeah, don't fuck with turtles. Or send me pictures of your plants. That's my plug. Yeah, I want to see them, especially turtle plant. Send them to me on Twitter. Yeah, if you have a string of turtle. Send it to me. But not someone making one out of real turtles that will yeah, make no, everyone the very angry. Yeah, actual plant. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. will find you. Yeah. yeah. Unless they're like, like one of them's chomping on the next one's tail and then the next one's chomping on the next one's tail. Oh, God. Turtles are so cute. I know. Could you imagine them doing oh. that? Well, oh. we'll be back Wednesday for the next episode of Teenage Mutant. That's trademarked. Talk to you later. People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.